Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ottawa Senators General Manager Pierre Dorian's attendance at the Edmonton Oilers' recent games against the Calgary Flames and the San Jose Sharks has fanned the flames of water cooler trade chatter across Edmonton and the NHL. Yes, that was Ryan Nugent Hopkins playing first-line minutes alongside Connor McDavid. Is the center recently turned winger in the Sens' sights? Or could it be defenseman Oscar Clefbaum? who returned to the Oilers lineup against San Jose and scored on a missile of a shot from the point. Dare we suggest Leon Dreisaitl's name could be mentioned in trade talks between Edmonton and Ottawa. Because while winger Mike Hoffman's name sometimes comes up, he plays on Ottawa's first line and could fit alongside McDavid and Edmonton, there's a far bigger fish swimming in the Senators' tank. Two-time Norris Trophy winning defenseman Eric Carlson who was rumored to be on the move before last month's trade deadline. Dorian admitted in February teams had called about Carlson, who has one more year on his contract before becoming an unrestricted free agent. Trade rumors aside, all the Oilers' names I've mentioned do figure large in the Oilers' immediate future, whether they be trade baits or players being relied on to collect more wins for the Oilers next season after a forgettable, disappointing 2017-18 that has seen the team take a big step back from last year's 103-point performance. I'm Craig Ellingson. I talked to hockey writers Jim Matheson and Derek Van Deest about the unclear course ahead for Oilers general manager Peter Shirelli when it comes to making decisions on personnel this coming offseason. In this, the Oil Spills podcast for March 15, 2018. think the Oilers are initiating the trade talks, not Pierre Dorian. The Oilers would like Mike Hoffman, uh, his speed and his shot, and pretty much every pro scout you talk to says he's got both, and I think he, you know, would look pretty good with Connor McDavid, but Ottawa uh, is very happy with Mike Hoffman playing with Matt Duchesne right now, and they rebuffed all trade uh, inquiries at the trading deadline and did not trade Mike Hoffman so I don't see it uh, from Ottawa's side and I guess you know if, I mean Nugent Hopkins's name has come up pretty much in every trade rumor whether that's for Oliver Ekman Larson or for a winger um, I think the orders have to add and not subtract they don't have enough top six players anyway so it'd be nice I guess it forward anyway. Uh, if you have to trade Nugent Hopkins to get a 
high-end defenseman, fine. But if you're going to trade Nugent Hopkins to get a winger when he's already playing wing, I think that's going that's taking from one hand and you know <laughs> adding in the other hand it doesn't make much sense to me. Well, I think when it comes to Dorian, I think it makes it makes a lot of sense. His team is out of the playoffs now, for him to kind of get a first hand look at some of the players that they may be discussing in in moving parts in this summer. So I think um, obviously these general managers they rely a lot on their scouts and what their scouts are saying about certain players, but I think he, he has this window of opportunity where his team is not going to the playoffs, where the trade deadline is passed, so he's not going to make any deals this year, where you can kind of look at a guy like Ryan Nugent Hopkins, whose name has come up as possible trade bait uh, for the Edmonton Oilers. You can go down to Calgary and look at some players there, go to Vancouver look at some players there, uh, and then maybe get a chance to look at some of the, the junior guys that, uh, that are eligible in the draft. So I, I think this is an opportunity. He saw this window of opportunity. Uh, probably wanted to get out of the heat a little bit in Ottawa and thought, okay, well, let's, let's go on a road trip and, and do some first-hand scouting and, and have a look. And I think it's important for GMs to, to kind of try and know the players as, as much as they can before they make trades for them. So I think that's what this is. This is more just kind of a scouting trip to, to kind of so, so he can say, yeah, I saw him play this time and, and this is what I think about him as opposed to just getting the information from your scouts and trying to discern it from that regard. Well, and they all, he's, he's going to see the Oilers in Ottawa in about a week anyway, so he didn't really have to come to watch Nugent Hopkins play, but he may also have been looking at Oscar Clefbaum. You know, while he's going to need shoulder surgery, if they're going to trade uh, Carlson, which there's a far greater uh, probability they trade uh, Eric Carlson on defense than, than Hoffman at forward because they don't have enough forwards, um, they could use a defenseman back. And... Um, Certainly, Oscar didn't hurt himself any last night. He looked better last night uh, with shoulder surgery coming than he did without shoulder surgery, actually, the way he was whipping pucks in. So who are we talking about here? We've, t- we've mentioned the names, you know, such as Mike Hoffman, Eric Carlson, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Oscar Clefbaum. But if, if you're saying, Maddie, the uh, Senators aren't necessarily looking to deal on Mike Hoffman because they don't have enough forwards as it is, are we really talking about Eric Carlson here? That is a, obviously a player that every team wants, you know, a top defenseman that the Oilers haven't had in 12 years since Chris Brunger. But at the same time, you know, Oscar Plefbaum, you know, is he ever going to be Eric Carlson? Probably not. But Eric Carlson also comes with a big price tag because he's going to be getting a new contract. I would say no because I don't think there's room for two $12 million hockey players on a hockey team. And Eric Carlson is probably ten to twelve million. And they've got Drysaddle at eight and a half. I I just don't see it. I, they've you know. I think I mean you got to kick tires, uh, but part of the kicking the tires for Eric Carlson is that, you know you have to take Bobby Ryan too, who's making seven and a half million. So I don't think the orders are up for that. I I can see the orders in the free agency if there's a winger out there that they like that they could sign. I mean, James Van Riemsdyk is a free agent this summer. Uh, he's got 29 goals. I don't know how well he skates in today's game, but he's got 29 goals. Um, you know, maybe they go that route. If you can get him for a short term. Um, but we all know the problem with the Oilers. They got way too many centers and not nearly enough wingers. And unless you get some wingers that can put the puck in the net with the centers that are passing it to them, you're in deep trouble. And somehow this summer... Peter Shirelli has to undo the wrong 
the wrongs when he traded Taylor Hall and Jordan Everly, and while he got Adam Larson back, who's a good player, uh, and Ryan Strom, I think, is a good third-line player, those are top six forwards, and there are no top six wingers right now for the Edmonton Oilers, and one of their centers is playing top six because they don't have enough wingers. Yeah, I don't know if the Oilers can afford Carlson, to be honest with you. With, with the, they're going to be in such a salary cap crunch uh, with McDavid's contract kicking in next year, Dreisaitl's contract kicked in this year, uh, that Lucic contract really looks like uh, like a bit of a crutch now, uh, just the length of it. Um, you were talking about Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He, he's going to be your second-line center. Uh, maybe you play him up on the wing. I think this is an experiment where you're playing him up on the wing with Ryan Nugent Hopkins, but... You know he's a he's a six million dollar second line center. So that's pretty pricey. You still got to go down the list. I think Talbot's. You got to figure out what you want to do with him. Whether you're going to pay him. Um, and so I I don't I don't see where Carlson fits into this salary cap structure that the Oilers have kind of painted themselves in a corner with. Also, I don't think the Oilers have enough pieces when it comes to prospects uh, and good young players that entices Ottawa to make that trade for Carlson. I think there's other teams with more room on the salary cap and probably better young pieces and to 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 want make Ottawa want to make that trade. So I, I don't see how the Oilers managed to pull this off. And also I, I don't know how keen upper upper management, let's say the owner and uh, and, and Bob Nicholson is to allow Peter Shirellers to start selling off some assets here where if the Oilers are in a similar situation next year as they are this year uh, they could be cleaning house at the management level. So, uh, how much freedom does Peter Shirelli have to start trading away some future assets to try and make the team a winner next year? Um, that's that to me. That that'd be an interesting dynamic. But I don't know how you get better without sacrificing something. Like the answer, I mean, I don't know. Eric Carlson is an all-world defenseman. Mm-hmm. There are only so many of those in the National Hockey League in the world. Um, and that is one thing the Oilers do need. Um, do you, I dare say, give up a Leon Dreisaitl to get a shot at Eric Carlson? Uh, I would. That would solve your salary cap. Yes, part I right would. There. I would certainly consider that because then you could move Nugent Hopkins to second line center, but then you still don't have any wingers. So the Oilers got so many holes we didn't think they had holes last year when they got three points we thought this is a pretty good team now you take a step back mm-hmm. and you say man oh man they get they need an offensive defenseman which, which, which they have for a while but they need two forwards I think two wingers in the top six and to go with the centers and stuff the best trades in hockey are the ones that are just one for one you know like David Poyle makes he trades Shea Weber for P.K. Subban he trades Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson. One-for-one trades make a lot more sense. They're a lot easier to do. The money is easier to figure out. You know, this is what this guy makes. This is what this guy makes. The only questions you have are age of the player you're trading. If there's a you know a great disparity between say an Eric Carlson and the player you're trading for, um, then it doesn't make quite as much sense. But you're trading Drysail, who's a first-line center in about 20 teams in the NHL, but is a second-line center here. But I don't. They've got Matt Duchesne. They don't. They they went. They moved heaven and earth to get Matt Duchesne. They don't need Leon Dreisaitl. So, no, I don't. I don't see that. And I agree with Derek. I I think it's nice 
it would be nice to have Eric Carlson. I think they have to take a step down, and the obvious step down is Oliver Ekman Larson, and then below that is say Tyson Berry, or you know a short-term uh, offensive defenseman. But um, I don't know what pieces, what chairs on this, uh, uh, you know, the, on the Titanic. Peter's going to move around to to get the pieces he needs that is going to make this team better offensively and he just keeps trying the coach keeps trying to put young players in the top six and none of those players yet have proven that they're top six players whether you're whether you're Pontus Aberg the player they got for Letestu whether you're Jesse Pugliarvi the first round pick whether you're Anton Slepeshev whether you're Drake Kajula you know those were all offensive players at one time but are they top six players I don't think so. Not right now. Pliarvi might be. Yeah. I don't think the other players are. I think they're third line or fourth line wingers. Not you know that's not a to denigrate them, but I, it's tough being a top six winger in the NHL. Yeah, and if Pierre Dorian was here and he watched Leon Dreisaitl last night, <laughs> Dreisaitl probably had his the worst game of uh, of the season last night. He was throwing pucks away left, right, and center, and uh, he I think he was on for all four goals uh, yesterday. So he he had a really tough game and. I think it's it's interesting now because uh, when he signed his big contract, obviously after McDavid did, people thought, okay, that that's not a bad deal. But now you're, you're it's starting to waver a little. Whether you're wondering whether he's worth that kind of money, whether he, uh, and I think other teams probably don't think he is yet. Uh, there's some nights where he's he's been unbelievable, and you're like, yeah, he's he's worth the eight and a half million dollars that they're paying him. He's a fantastic player. With other nights. Uh, you shake your head and you go, maybe the Oilers overpaid him a little bit. And, and I think it's it's one of the situations. What does the rest of the league think of Leon Dreisettle? Do they think he's worth what the Oilers are, 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 are giving him? And if they do, if they do, then I think he'd be more an attra- a more attractive trade piece. But if they think he's overpaid a little bit and then bringing him in would kind of hamstring you a little bit when it comes to filling out the rest of your roster, I think that's that's an issue. I, I agree with Jim. I think Oliver Ekman Larson is probably a better option for the Edmonton Oilers. I think he's a guy that the Oilers will probably target hard this summer. If they could get him in here, uh, and and they probably wouldn't be afraid to lose a, a bigger piece if they could bring a guy like Oliver Ekman Larson in here uh, to help out and solidify that back end. And you look, if you have him and Larson and Clefbaum and Nurse, that's a pretty solid top four and then you go from there uh, I think and so I think that's the big target for the Edmonton Oilers. I December. think most people consider Leon Dreisaitl a seven to seven and a half million dollar player not a eight and a half million dollar player and yet I think Ryan Johansson got eight million a year didn't he get out of, out of Nashville? Yeah. Eight times eight? Well Leon Dreisaitl is a better player than Ryan Johansson and he's you know he's like Ryan Johansson too. hasn't fig- finished in the top ten in scoring in the NHL yet so I guess it's all relative. Every year you think the contracts are too high. All of a sudden, you know, ten million used to be it when when Taves and Kane got ten. Now guys are getting twelve and a half. So, you know, you're back to where the high end players are making twelve and a half, and eight and a half doesn't sound so bad. And I think in the Oilers' case, Leon pressed the issue, and he probably figured, okay, I'm at least two thirds as good as as McDavid, so I want eight and a half. I do think the general manager of the Edmonton Oilers is a fairly generous fellow, <laughs> Peter Shirelli. I don't know how hard he fights back on some contracts. You know, Milan Lucic is seven years, six million. You know, uh, Leon's 
eight and a half million. He had to give Connor McDavid whatever he wanted, but some of the contracts are, you know, a little rich for some people around the league. And um, when you're the general manager, it's not your money; it's the owner's money. Um, but you also get yourself into salary cap trouble when you give long-term contracts with with lots of money too. But sometimes those contracts, I mean, obviously eight and a half million dollars for Drysaitel, or even the twelve and a half million for Connor McDavid now is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But in a few years, I mean, the salary caps have only been going up, not not necessarily staying level or going down. Um, and there's no indication that they're going to, you know, stay the same here. Like say five years later, I mean, these are long-term contracts. To you know, we're talking about Drysaitel here. Um, in five years' time, that might look like a very good deal. Um, and, you know, and, and Dreisaitl is 22 years old, and he's already better than a Ryan Johansson. The problem know. is when you have a lot of money tied up and so few players, the rest of your, your team then all has to be on entry-level contracts or, or be making 800000 a year. And that, you can only do that when you, your research and development is really good and you can find lots of good young players. You draft good young players mm-hmm. to fill out the bottom <coughs> part of your roster with that sort of money. But the owners have done a woeful job of that. So I think the, the latest crop from talking to amateur people, their last year's draft was pretty good. I think you know, Yamamoto's probably going to be pretty good. I think that Russian defenseman they got, Samarukov, played in the World Junior. The two Europeans, Safin and Maximov, most scouts think you know they're lucky to get them where they got them in the fourth and fifth round, and they're all you know they're all signed, so they must like them the seasons they've had. But their minor league team has—I don't know if they have a forward on their minor league team that they consider an NHL player, and they have maybe one other defenseman, Seth Jones, his brother, uh, Caleb. Uh, so you can pay the big money to to Leon and and Connor. Uh, and they have some $6 million players and a high-end defenseman, but you better have all 12 players than making a million two and to six fifty because you can't, you can't survive. Yeah, and, and you look at the situation the Chicago Blackhawks are in now, and they're, they're you know, straddling that salary cap, and they had to get rid of good player after good player after good player. I think starting with Dustin Bufflin, they, they had to move him, and they, they had to move uh, a lot of good young players because they just simply couldn't afford them in their second contract after their entry-level deals and, and so they were kind of recycling that way and then you saw a lot of good young guys leave Chicago and, and now they're in the situation where they're, they're kind of on a downturn here and, and how are you going to kind of reload type thing and I think that's the situation. Pittsburgh, the model is you pay your top guys you pay your top defenseman, you pay your top goaltender and then you need your your third and fourth line guys and your fifth and sixth defensemen to be on entry-level contracts and make good contributions. And, and, and Jim is right. The, the owners have been so woeful when it comes to drafting. It started in 2010. In 2010, when they have the first overall pick, when they took Taylor Hall, that was a chance to really, really stock the cupboards. That was a chance to really do a good job and, and kind of start all over again and, and, and get a good player at 31, get a good player at 61, get a good player at 91. And they didn't do that. They didn't do that in 2010. They didn't do that in 2011. They didn't do that basically and, you know, until Peter Shirley took over in 2015. Then you can say, okay, maybe they started. Now they're starting to kind of fill the coverage. But you're right. They don't have any forwards that can come in and play. So if you trade Ryan Nugent Hopkins away, 
we talked about this before about how you're letting goals walk out the door and you're not able to replace them. Patrick Roon walked out the door. He's going to score about 20 goals this year. You you have to replace those 20 goals, and if you let Ryan Nugent Hopkins walk out the door, you're going to have to replace his offensive and his defensive play. He's a guy that can do it at both ends of the ice. So you can't just keep letting people walk out the door because they don't have anyone in their system to come and fill those holes. You know, in the case of Eberle, and that's those are some of those goals that walked out the door last year when you traded for Ryan Strom. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and of course the Oilers were hoping that Strom would somehow pick up his game and maybe have a career year because he has never scored as many goals as Eberle has. Maybe you put him in the right situations, play with McDavid even, yeah. he would be that player. But obviously he's, he hasn't done that, and they've he is now earmarked as that third line center. Um, I would ask you this though. I mean, here we are, we're talking about the need for players to be able to, A, be relatively cheap, B, come in when they're young and play well. Yessi Pugliarvi started the year in the farm this year, Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Of course he did. I know that. Um, But now he's, I would say, there's no question he's going to be on the orders next year. He's not going back to Bakersfield, clearly. He He is an NHL player. He's 19 years old. You would hope that next year he'll take another step and he will be in the top six, if not potentially on the number one line. Same with Kyler Yamamoto. Yes, he's he was just drafted last June and he's in junior right now. But I mean, considering that the team did keep him around for that you know, the beginning part of the season and they had a long look at him, it was it reasonable to expect that perhaps he might stick with the orders next year? Is that best for anybody's long term developments? You know, on average, no. You want to ha- give them time in the minors. I mean, look at Jujar Kyra, 2012 draft. Mm-hmm. He spent time in the minors before he's now, I think, entrenched as a third, fourth line forward for the Oilers. At the beginning of this year, no one knew what he was going to be. Um, so you're going to ha- there are some developments. You know, I mean, yes, of course, not every uh, round of the draft is working out for the Oilers, and that's another question I have too. Of, you know, the order's drafting history. Let's just take it over the last five years if we're not going to go back all the way to 2010. How does the order's development compare to other teams? Like how many home runs or even, you know, doubles, if we're going to use baseball ter- terminology, do, does a team have to hit in order to be successful? Lots. And how many teams actually do that? Well, some teams do it better than others. For years, Philadelphia would pick late in the first round and they'd get Jeff Carter and, you know, Mike Richards and you know late in the first round um, you can do it uh, but you have to be lucky at it I mean Ethan Bear was a you know fifth round draft choice and he's playing in the Edmonton Oilers right now so they may have got caught a break there mm-hmm. with Ethan um, and that was obviously good scouting because the scout obviously who went to bat for Ethan Bear said you know the league's going to change the small defensemen are going to be in again or shorter defenseman because he's not he was 200 pounds but um so there are a few but the problem with the with the draft is most of the players take you know three years before they're in the nhl at least they're drafted at 18 they go back and play another year of junior at 19 there's a first year of pro at 20 and if they play really well then maybe they make the team when they're 21 but you've already I wouldn't say wasted, but that's three years in there. And those three years are prime years for Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl where you, they're not getting enough help. 
and I don't think I don't think you can win Stanley Cups with I've never seen it where three players you know you have you know McDavid and Dreisaitl and and a good goalie and you know Ryan Nugent Hopkins you need 10 to 12 really good players and right now the orders are far short of that yeah and I think the orders have to take a look and see their timeline here right now they have to see whether or not you know they have Nugent they have uh, uh, McDavid for the next eight years they have him there so now they have to look at the timeline saying well are we going to wait six or seven or eight years before we try and go and take a run in the Stanley Cup or do we have to do this now do they have to become contenders next year and, and I think that really changes the approach of of, of how they approach this summer because if they want to go back to being a contender like they were last season then they have to make immediate moves and they have to bring in some pretty big name players to help out and, and fill some of the gaps that they have because they don't have those players that can step in and do that at the moment they may have them in three or four years if they keep them not having to lose these guys if they want to bring someone else in but right now they don't have them and I think that's a, that's a situation that the owners have to look at and say can we ask people to be patient again while we do another mini rebuild here because we don't have these guys ready to step in or do we have to kind of sell the farm and, and make some trades and make them deal away some draft picks kind of like they do in junior when, when junior teams are taking a shot at the Memorial Cup they'll deal their draft picks and they'll deal their young prospects and go all in for a run at, at, a, at a Memorial Cup title are the owners looking at doing that are they looking at trading some high-end draft picks are they looking at trading some some of the prospects they have to bring in some more experienced players to become a contender next season. I think that's some, that's a big question that Peter Shirelli has to ask himself and the staff. I don't think they can subtract. They have to add. There's not enough pieces there. You know, I, I'd be much rather, I'd much rather see them go into free agency myself and if they could get players, a couple of good players for $4 million a year who could play in the top six, great. Even if they're four-year contracts for $4 million, great because that's four years into McDavid's eight years, and and they, those would be support players for him. And, it's n- and you know, maybe three years into that contract, you could push that guy out because the young players are ready to take his, his spot. But, I, you know, you need some players coming, but if you don't have enough on your NHL roster, I don't think you can wait through the prime years of the best player in the league and say, you know what? We're paying you $12.5 million a year, but you're not going to be playing with highly productive players. So you're kind of on your own. You know, repeatedly, you know, in this McDavid and Drysaddle era where, you know, how many years into year three in Edmonton, uh, we talk about the comparables to, okay, if McDavid and Drysaddle are two of the best young players in the league, we compare them to... Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane, we, uh, but we compare them partic- particularly to Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't know if they're going to become those players. I mean, I think it's safe to say McDavid is that player already. And yes, Dreisaitl did score 80 points last year. He was in the top 10 of scoring last year. Can he do it again? It's not going to happen this year. But how old is Malkin? Is he 30 yet? Is he? He's in his early thirties. Is he not? Same age as Ovechkin, so he was thirty-two. In the, he's in the same draft. I mean, that's fourteen years in the league. <clears throat> he's been in NHL. Maybe n- never mind the lockout year. Um, McDavid's twenty-one. Drysaddle's mm-hmm. twenty-two. That's a decade past. And who's who are the most recent Stanley Cup champions? 
obviously the Pittsburgh Penguins have won the last two. So are the Oilers maybe being are we are we being impatient? Is there not we don't have to have McDavid on his entry level contract to make a run at the Stanley Cup like a lot of people thought this year, do we? They have to make strides. You can be patient and impatient. Impatience with not even making the playoffs. Patient making the playoffs, winning a round, maybe losing, coming back the next year, getting two rounds into it. I think the fan base has uh, every right to be impatient because they keep missing the playoffs. And if they've made the playoffs and when they went out in the second round, they could say, you know what, there's lots of good teams, but at least we're making the playoffs and getting a couple of rounds, and maybe next year we get a third round. So I don't know. I, th- I think with the best player in the world, you know, uh, he and Crosby, I think you got to do some stuff now too. I think you got to, you know, or he's going to be getting a little frustrated himself. Connor is that, okay, four years into this, and where are we going here? We're, we don't seem to be making a lot of headway. Yeah, I think it's tough to ask a fan base to be patient when the, the, the team that they've been cheering for has missed the playoffs 11 of 12 years. And, and they've gone through three rebuilds, basically, and they haven't got it to work properly. And then Connor McDavid was another rebuild. They said, okay, now we're going to get it. Connor McDavid, we got Leon Dreisaitl, we got Darnell Nurse. Now we've got it. We figured it out. And it's tough to say, oh, sorry, we didn't figure it out. These guys are still young, so give us another three or four or five years to kind of figure it out and, and make us contenders. We've, we've heard this story before from this organization. We, we heard it back in 2010, and we heard it again in, in 2015. And, and so we keep hearing this story that, you know, we'll, we'll get there, we'll get there, we'll get there at the same time. They've, they've never seemed to have taken a step, enough steps forward. They're, going to finish 27th or 28th or 26th again this year uh, out of 31 teams. They're always finishing at the bottom, and I think that's the problem with... I think the patience has really run out on this organization when it comes to the fan base, and I think if you look, if the fan base said, you know what, we won't come to the games until you guys get better, uh, I think there'll be a lot urgent, more urgency to, to get better very quickly, and I think they thought they took a step last year, but obviously I don't think they were as good as they were last year. I don't think they're as bad as they are this year. They're somewhere in the middle, which should be fighting for a playoff spot. So they got to get there. I guess we have to wait and see what the season ticket renewal rate is like. I mean, obviously the orders don't release that kind of information to the public, like how many people are on their waiting list. But that's to me has that is money always talks, doesn't it? It you does. Know, it once upon a time, you know, when we had the Canadian Assistance Program in place and they needed to reach fourteen thousand season tickets. That wasn't that, well, I guess it was almost a generation ago, Mm -hmm. if not a generation ago. Um, And clearly we don't have that now. We have a brand new arena and everything, all the tickets are spoken for. Even though now with the team out of the playoffs, you go to Rogers Place, yeah, there are some empty seats in there. And yes, on the secondary market, you can pick up a ticket for, uh, you know, a lot less than face value. Yeah. But I guess that has to be it. I mean, but the owners do have the best player in the world and that will continue to sell tickets. But... Like you said, if you're Connor McDavid and you're thinking, here we are, four years into me being here, and where are we at? Like, does Connor McDavid want to be where Taylor Hall was, where Taylor Hall was here for six years, and they weren't anywhere near the playoffs? And then Hall left, and now two years in Jersey, it looks like he's going to you know, make the playoffs this year. So I, I, don't, I think Connor McDavid looks at that, Taylor Hall and Jordan Eberle, 
and you go back before that, Sam Gagne and Andrew Cogliano, and you go, wait a minute, I don't, I don't want to be with those guys. Where I don't want to be five years into this organization and not have anywhere be anywhere near the playoffs. I don't want to be playing games in in January that don't mean anything. And I think that's that's a, a situation that the Oilers really have to remedy right now, is because they're not taking steps. They're not any further now than they were in 2010. They're not. They haven't taken any steps. Basically, they're, they're just going around in circles. And I think the fan base has been very patient with this organization. They 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 want them to get better. They're they're rooting for them to get better. And they've been there. They've filled the building for the last ten years, and they haven't had any reward for it. And I think a lot of the fan base is starting to get a little upset, and they 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 are starting to say, "Hey, I, I've seen this. I've seen this picture before. I've seen this story before. This is exactly what happened in 2010. We had one of the youngest." Uh, brightest players in Taylor Hall, most exciting, dynamic player, um, and we didn't do anything with him. And now we have the best player in the world, and are we going to be in that same situation and, and not do anything with him? So I think uh, the impatience is a bit more there now than it was in 2010. I agree wholeheartedly, and I think I think you can build a model that wins in the NHL, and I think a prime example is, say, Boston which was not very good a couple of years ago and looked slow, but mm-hmm. now they've got lots of good young players, to, you know, Louis DeBrusque's son and, you know, uh, Heinen and Charlie McAvoy on defense and stuff, and lots of prospects who aren't that far away playing college and stuff, and along with, uh, with the uh, Marchands and Bergerons and Pasternak's and, you know, you know Kretschies and Chara and stuff. So you can do it. So you kind of build on the fly and, and hope your older players don't get sold. They can't play anymore. Uh, but the orders, I don't, I, they're caught in between. They don't have enough good young players coming, and they don't have enough players on their NHL roster that are high-end players. They have lots of third- and fourth-line <laughs> players, and 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 I'd, I'd hazard a guess Maybe Darnell Nurse could be a number a top pairing defenseman, but they don't have a high the, an elite defenseman either. So there's just so many holes, and I don't know how you build it on the fly. Uh, so you know you get lots of good young players coming with the with lots of good older players, and there's neither of them right now. There's not enough of high end older players, and not nearly enough younger players coming. Now, you brought up Boston, and I'm not trying to be a Peter Shirelli apologist or anything like that, but that is his former team. And how many of those players are from the Shirelli years that he would have had a hand in bringing in? Some of them. Uh, well, certainly the Pasternak's and stuff like that. Keith Gretzky, I think, drafted Pasternak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Peter was there for, for the um, you know the glory days when when... You know, he, he would have drafted Brad Marchand and um, Kretschy and stuff like that. Um, but I, but the last couple of years they've been here and they've been drafting good players too. So um, I don't know. I it, I would I don't want to be in the, the shoes of a general manager because you're you're always trying to keep your team relevant, but you're also trying to build at the same time. And you try not to give too much away and get stuff back, and it's very—it's a difficult, you know, chore every day to stay good, and then hope your older players just don't fall off a cliff, and and you don't have enough younger players coming. And when you're good, then you're not you're you're not picking, you're always picking 
27th, 54th, you know, 86th. You're not picking, you know, high-end players either to fill the holes. So I can see it's a difficult chore for Peter Shirelli, but somehow this summer, I don't know how he's going to do it, he has to get two socks, two top six forwards uh, and an offensive defenseman. Yeah. And, and that's three pieces without giving up too much. And yeah. I... Yeah. I know the cap's going up, and there's a little bit of room to. The order is, if you took a look at cap friendly, they're right at the bottom. They got more cap room than most teams. They got almost nine million dollars of cap room, and they've you know they don't have a whole lot of players. They only have forty six uh, players on their organizational chart signed to win fifties and maximum. So they got room to add players. They've got cap room, so they can they can do some stuff. Uh, but I agree with Mark. It's the Lucic contract that's weighing them down the most. Uh, and Milan is a very bright guy. He knows he hasn't he hasn't played well at all this year, and he knows that the clock's ticking, and he has to somehow get better next year. I don't know what better is for Milan in the league that's really fast, and and whether he can lose some weight and still gain some foot speed. I don't know. That's that's. Uh, balancing act for a big man um, but that's the contract that's hurting the orders the most if he can't produce making six million dollars a year because you're counting on him when you sign him you're figuring huh at worst second line left winger and they just traded a second line left winger maroon because mm-hmm. he was going to be an unrestricted free agent I agree with Derek where are you finding those 20 goals and they traded him in part because Milan is a big man who doesn't skate as well as, as a lot of players in the league now because the league's so fast. And Maroon is also a big man whose foot speed is, is not like a lot of wingers now. And there was maybe only room for one of them because they both play the same position left wing. But, you know, they, there's still 20 goals walked out the door. And Maroon in, in New Jersey's got six points. I think he's got seven points now. He's played eight or nine games. got seven points there. So he's producing and he should be producing for the Oilers. I'm going to circle back to Oscar Kleffbaum because last year he was the team's best defenseman, scored, was it 12 or 13 goals? And this year, obviously, he's a shadow of that as offensive production. Now, Oscar Kleffbaum came back to the game against San Jose and scored a goal. He was firing a couple of shots from the point, the big, the big shot he's got. Scored on one of them. Nugent Hopkins tipped in the other one. How old is Clefbaum? Is he 24? He's still young, isn't he? Drafted in the same year, 2011, same draft year. He's turning 25, I think. He might be 25 now. He's not, he's not yet in his prime. I mean, and he's identified that he's, you know, he's told the media, he told you <clears throat> and the other media that he's had a shoulder problem for years, mm-hmm. multiple, and he's been playing with it. So, I don't know. Have we not seen the full potential of Oscar Clefbaum yet, or is that is that not something you think about as well? I don't know. They always say 300 games for defensemen. He hasn't got the 300 games yet, but he's played in the league for a while now. I think I think Oscar Clefbaum's a second pairing NHL defenseman, the offensive part of a second pairing defenseman. I don't know if he's a first pairing NHL defenseman. Uh, but he's a good NHL defenseman, and he's well-priced for several more years at $4.2 million, which makes him attractive on the team he's on and attractive with other teams too. So 
the shoulder part of it. Uh, I hope it's not one of those chronic things where guys just have bad shoulders. It's already been fixed once uh, when he was still a junior in Sweden. Uh, I think it was a torn labrum. And this time it's supposedly clean up. And as Derek was saying last night, maybe it's just he's got some uh, scar tissue in there and some other stuff that's just built up over the last six or seven years, and that's what they're trying to do to, to clean it up. But uh, funny, he's got a bad shoulder last night, and he looked better offensively than some of the players with two good shoulders. So um, uh, that was that was last year's Oscar Clefbaum <laughs> shooting the puck, I think. Yeah. Was and I wouldn't I wouldn't be quick to give up on Oscar Kleppbaum just yet. I think this is a good young player. I, I really do believe that the injury to Andre Secker really affected Oscar Kleppbaum because I think last year Secker did provide some of that offense and, and, and it didn't all fall on Oscar Kleppbaum. And I think this year the mistake that the Oilers made is when Secker got hurt, anyone who's ever had any injury or or realizes that it takes you a whole year to come back, a whole calendar year to come back. So basically this year was a wash with, with, with Sekera. He was not going to return to be the same player. It's going to take him a long time. So a calendar year would be April, I think, when he got hurt, or, or maybe May. So you basically lost him for the whole season. Even if you get them back in December, he wasn't going to be the same player. And I think that affected Clefbaum because he saw that now he was the only offensive defenseman on that team. And so he felt that he had to push and, and be offensive and, and kind of fill in that role that Sekera was missing and I think that affected him defensively. I think that really affected his, his game defensively and I think that really hurt his confidence because he wasn't producing offensively and then he was struggling defensively and then the shoulder I think it was one of those things that, Yeah, he probably played through it it was probably bothering him but I think it wasn't bothering to the point where he says well I can't, I can't play anymore, I, I want to keep gutting this out um, but I think that's what really affected Oscar Kleffbaum is that he was given too much responsibility this season, and he just couldn't handle it. And once he couldn't handle it, it just it all went south for him. And I think he's a, he's a very, very good player, but the mistake the Oilers made was not bringing in someone else that can take some of that offensive load off him because he felt compelled. He said, i got to jump into the rush every play. i got to shoot from the point every play. i gotta, I got to be the, the point guy on the power play. Because there was no one else to do it. And you look at the numbers now, and Chris Russell's your best offensive defenseman when it comes to the Edmonton Oilers with numbers. And Chris Russell hasn't been an offensive defenseman since he played Medicine Hat since his juniors. He kind of redefined his entire game. And so I think that was one of the issues that affected Klauser Kleffbaum. And, he, and he, he's a very proud guy. He looked at that contract, and he looked at the role he has, and he says, well, I have to take it to the next level. And he just wasn't able to do it. You know, the thing about you, know, you bring up the Oilers really should have brought somebody else in. And without knowing what the trade market was like and what the owners would have to give up to get somebody to replace Andre Sakura, without, I mean, yeah, of course you had some cap room left over, let's say, after the Eberle trade uh, for Ryan Strom. But, you know, unless that, that defenseman's coming from in, inside the organization, I don't know what, you would, you're going to have to lean on your cleft bombs and your other young defenseman, like Darnell Nurse, to fill that role. Um, and Matthew Benning, and Matthew, Matthew Benning, Benning has, as well. has, has had an off year as well. So I think they were hoping that they would be able to fill that role, but they obviously weren't able to do it. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, there's lots of names they throw out in the summer. Why don't you sign this guy? Eh, the guy's failed in two or three other places. Why is he suddenly going to be all that great in Edmonton? You, know, you bring the guy in, and he, he's not a top-four defenseman. He's a 5'6 or a 7. So, you know, he would have been a veteran defenseman. 
but I don't know how good that player would have been. But you're right, the the Secker injury, he looks like a pale imitation of last year's player right now. Everything's going a little too fast for him. And this summer, I, I don't know, he's got to work on his foot speed and all everything else. You know, it's just a reaction and come into camp and have lots of reps and and hopefully by you know the time the season starts in October he's back to looking like last year's player yeah you know in the summer obviously it took you know Chris Russell didn't sign right away but you know they they did eventually add him at his price tag Mm -hmm. which was certainly a lot more than they signed him to that one-year contract the year before That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can listen to our show via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. I'm Craig Ellingson. Talk to you soon.